0: Hi guys and welcome back to You're on Crackmate, the podcast where we delve into films, television series and whatever takes our fancy really. Analyzing and reviewing them to the point where we've been told flat out, you're on crack mate. This week I'm very excited to say that I'll be joined by Sho Hurley. Sho is a fellow Irishman like myself and he has recently been schooling me on Star Trek. It has been quite a lovely, lovely experience getting to know him. Even though we're not here to talk about Star Trek this evening, but let's be honest, we're probably going to talk about Star Trek this evening. But in the meantime, show, how the hell are you, man?
1: Not too bad, Sean. How are you? And thanks for having me on the show as well.
0: Delighted to have you. Absolutely delighted to have you. Um, I think this is one of those ones where it's kind of like the the stars aligned to try and get to like, all right, what evening suits it? What evening suits it? Because you coming on the show was never in question. Mm. It was just a when.
1: Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Well, I've never been on a podcast before, so this is absolutely terrifying for me as well at the same time.
0: There is no reason whatsoever to be scared. Um, I forgot to mention, by the way, we are live um, across all of uh, all of the affiliated YouTube channels as well. So, um, getting loads of lovely comments here about the posters in the background and the best dressing gown
1: ever. Yeah, it's a Star Trek dressing gown as well, which makes it even better as well. It's
0: so cool. At one point, I think you pointed off the off the side of the screen, and I just saw the gold bars on the uh, on the wrist on the on the dressing gown and then oh look it's a sorry for for a visual uh, context for the audience it is the blue science colors with uh i'll call it spock's insignia so from the
1: original series when everyone had their own insignia of course it is yeah exactly now sean the interesting thing about this podcast is that you haven't you didn't see the movie for years before i suggested you watch it again so right, I, this 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 is true. So I was laughing because when you said because
0: I said to people like, okay, give me three films and we'll talk about it, and you were like, I had no sooner sent the message when I got back. Transformers nineteen eighty six. I was like, I see this man. This man needs to talk about this, and I now know why. So yeah, so you're dead right. I I think I saw this film when I was a kid. I say that because. Everyone must have seen this film at some point in their lives. I feel like it was a formational time for humanity when this film came out. Um, And my mind is actually blown. And I don't use that lightly. Like, when I say blown, I don't mean the kind of Darren Aronofsky mother, why is this happening, blown. I mean the, there's so much colour, and there's so much happening, and oh my god, I need those toys on my desk Right now, I think it's kind of blown.
1: It's interesting what you said about everyone having seen it because when I was growing up, um, my memory of it like I've never seen it on terrestrial TV, say. Um, back in the old days, I remember it was on um, Sky Movies, that was the kind of extent of it. Like when I was younger now, my memory of seeing it was going into Extra Vision and renting it yeah. with, my, with my dad and kind of watching it at home. I do remember one memory I have of it was like, from looking at the RTE guide and seeing it was on Sky Movies once that if you might remember this as well when you were younger you could try on Sky Movies and it'd be scrambled but now and again a small yeah. bit would come true and I still recall my favourite part of the movie is um, at the start when Spike and Hot Rod are going to Lookout Mountain to see the shuttle um, approaching and um, I remember that was coming through scrambled and I was like, oh my god this is so cool because I could remember the whole scene and things like that but I didn't have it like in a physical form because obviously buying movies back then was kind of tough enough to kind of come by. So a lot yeah, of people, assume, yeah. a lot of people I knew knew have never actually seen it. Like I've said it to like some of my friends in the last week that I was going to be watching, and some of them didn't even know it had even that it even existed. Some didn't even know if they'd even seen it. Like I hadn't seen it for the bones of cheapers, um, I'd say, well over fifteen years before a friend of mine said he had it on video, and I got a copy of it off him. And since then, I have bought the DVD, the special edition DVD, the special special edition DVD, the blu ray and the digital version of it as well because I have a bit of a problem having the movie as many formats as I could possibly get my hands
0: on'm <laughs> i sorry on behalf of the film industry we thank you <laughs> but but like that was it so I did I did a swift Wikipedia I always do a quick Wikipedia on the films we're going to talk about yeah. and it, it kind of on the not seeing it for a long time apparently it it was it was ridiculously hard to come by for a long time because a lot of the original masters were destroyed Um, it took a long time I think to come to now you might know more about this than I do apparently it took a long time that only the VHS copy existed and then sure you know yourself how many times can a VHS last and eventually yes it was thankfully remastered and I think as well as when
1: like I was listening to a few podcasts about it today, just because I was curious what you know what people thought about it and what they knew about it. There was a lot of discussion about when the film was actually put out in DVD that it wasn't in the right format and things like that. Like that, when it was actually reco- when it was actually made, it was kind of done in the four three format, not designed for um, widescreen presentation at all. So over the years, in all the different versions, all the different versions that I have, like every time I bought it after I've then checked out the internet reviews of it, and there's obviously some massive Transformers fans out there. And they'd be criticizing, you old know, the sound or erroneous sounds put in and what's right and what's wrong and things like that. Now, from my own perspective, I never see a huge difference between the kind of different versions and things like that. With one exception, there is one version I really don't want to watch again because I, I could, felt that the color was off and things like that. So there has been a few versions kind of knocking around. The one I watched down preparation for this was um, on the Apple TV app. I bought it uh, there. And I noticed, because it's in widescreen, that in certain scenes, you could definitely see that because of the widescreen presentation, you're losing bits at the top and bits at the bottom as well. So it's not the kind of the perfect widescreen that you kind of want to see it in. That's actually so
0: that that was now anyway, I literally I saw a line about that so I didn't notice it while I was watching the film but yeah apparently that is a consistent issue that some people have while watching this is that you can notice where I suppose what would maybe be the equivalent where you'd have to zoom in yeah. almost to make sure that it fills your screen and it's it's interesting because it, it reminds me strangely it reminds me of um, when Fox did the remaster on Buffy the Vampire Slayer I don't know if you were a fan um, when, when that came out originally. Never actually watched it, would you believe? Um, that's, that's that's all right. There's our next podcast. <laughs> but um, what they did is that television has changed since even, like that was the 90s and obviously Transformers was the 80s. Mm. Like the, You know, we're, we're sitting out. Now it's become a little more normal to have your big screen TV, your flat screen, all the, you know, super duper quality. But of course, a lot of these things were actually made to fit the, the 4-3 screen yeah. so what they did for that is that there is an issue because they allegedly just because I don't want to get sued by Fox uh, did a hatchet job on it Yeah, uh, you can literally at some points it goes in and some points it comes out mm. and then you know there's at some point they took the original master and the crew is visible in the shot oh really because they just said I need this to be in 16.9 or you know 1080 there you go that's the guy saying uh, cut or that's the guy saying action there's the clapper board and everything because they just took the original masters and with this now i suppose the handy thing about this being an animated one is you won't catch the crew yeah but you will have to sacrifice at some point it wasn't designed to be on these kind of screens and then you're supposed faced with the bigger question of is this is this when remakes are allowed Is this when Michael Bay is allowed to go back and redo this now as well with 75% more explosions?
1: (laughs) I think as well it's something that happened with The Simpsons when it first went on to Disney Plus because the first whatever 18 or whatever seasons up until they went HD uh, was all done in the 4-3 aspect ratio. And then when you started watching on Disney Plus it was presented in widescreen. So what happened was in certain episodes you were actually missing the joke from it because obviously some of the gags were visual gags. So take, for instance, an episode, Duffless, when Homer gives up uh, drinking for 30 days. He goes to the Duff Brewery, and then when the guy's giving the tour, he says, here's our three new flavors of Duff, Duff, whatever, Duff Dry, Duff Classic, Duff something else. And when you're looking at it in the widescreen, you can't actually see that the joke is that at the very top all three pumps are basically coming from the same thing so it's the exact same beer that's there so what disney had done is they've gone back and made sure that you can change the aspect ratio to watch it in the original four three presentation rather than the widescreen. that's and i suppose the the inevitable
0: quickly bringing up star trek one thing that netflix has obviously done is that ds9 and voyager are both in standard definition that four three aspect yeah. as well uh certainly standard it it hurts my soul standard definition because i know how beautiful tng is blu-ray remaster come on guys go back and do ds9 ds9 just give us ds9 we'll wait for voyager just give us ds9 (laughs) but um but it is in that aspect and initially when they first came to netflix uh i was a bit like oh i missed my big widescreen now i totally understand it just wouldn't suit it at all you'd lose half the image and But then I've seen some of the HD footage from what we left behind and and then I felt sad. So Transformers is a film that was out in 19... I think it was made 85, released 86 or possibly 87. Yeah, they went about
1: um, making it directly after the first season they started writing it because if you actually look at the movie, uh, the majority of the characters from it are from season one. So all the characters that were introduced in season two are, you know, n- you know conspicuously absent from the movie itself. So they really went into mm. the kind of production with it really fast. Obviously, the history behind it was that um, because of the success of it, they wanted to start rolling out new Transformers, new toys. Hey, so th- rolling out. Sorry. <laughs> <Good>. <laughs> Dear God, I'd like to apologize on behalf of Sean there for that joke. Um, <laughs> i will take that (laughs) but um so the plan was then is obviously to get rid of as many of the transformers as possible so that they could get the new kind of characters on stream at that point now obviously if you're listening to this podcast i hope you've seen the movie because there is going to be spoilers ahead um so with the new characters coming out i have some new toys that come out so being a kid not knowing any of this a lot of the kind of the film was a bit of a shock in terms of you know the spoiler alert the death of optimus prime in the movie and things like that but what i know yeah it's a shocker how did you not know that was going to happen but the funny thing was i was listening to a podcast earlier and they were talking about the movie and um they were saying about the death of prime and all that and i kind of think that if prime had not died in it it actually would have affected the film more i think that because he wasn't in it it was easier to kind of give other characters more of the limelight Meanwhile, if mm. he had survived it, he would have, you know, been a lot more kind of involved in it. But the funny thing was, at the time, I think it was Mattel, was it, who were making it. They made they were making three films at the same time with their three big kind of um, toys. So My Little Pony, G.I. Joe, and Transformers. So... GI Joe. Yes. GI Joe was coming along first, but then there was a delay in production of that. So in both Transformers and GI Joe, the main character was getting killed off. In Transformers, it was Optimus Prime. In Joe, in GI Joe, it was uh, Duke, I think his name was. So they didn't really kind of appreciate how much the audience felt for Optimus Prime at the time. So the writer, Ron Friedman, of the movie, he fought against killing Optimus Prime in the movie. In the movie, uh, but. You know the powers of B said no he's getting killed, we're replacing him and all that but there was a massive backlash against it after the fact, It was a load of angry parents writing in, kids writing in and all that kind of thing so as a result, in the G.I. Joe movie, they didn't kill Duke they put him into a coma and they basically had him back alive at the end of the movie instead so the question obviously is had the G.I. Joe movie continued its production at the time when it was ahead of Transformers if that had gone first and the reaction being bad would Optimus Prime have survived in this movie or not? I and do you know what?
0: Because I'm I'm watching it with all of the various memories of the show and the Michael Bay franchise as well in my head, mm. and I'm kind of going. I was watching the movie going. When does Prime come back?
1: <laughs> Shocker! And
0: I was on it. Even like I was, I was there because I was, I was texting you going like this. movie he is amazing! oh my God, up to the Prime, and right up until the closing credits, I was like, okay, God, they're leaving it a bit late, aren't they? Um and then yeah, spoiler alert. No, no, Optimus Prime dies when you see him die. That is the end of Optimus Prime. I was like, but but p- because I was thinking as well when I was watching it, and um, and I'm well aware if the words I'm saying are like sacrilege to some people, but I think the is it Revenge of the Fallen, the second one, yeah. is sort of a very 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 loose remake of this, and I do it with like loose as as loose as you can get because I think Devastator is in that one he doesn't resemble no. Devastator in this one. No, not even wrong. Really. Uh, yeah, the
1: death of Prime and the Matrix and all that are in the second one as well, yeah. That that and I think
0: I was I was spoiled a bit with that because I was like, you know, oh well, Grant, sure, you know, just wait the nine hour runtime of uh, Revenge of the Fallen and, and, you know, you'll get Prime back. Um, and So yeah, it was, what were your, it was a good twist. What were your memories of the show from like being younger? surprisingly like as i was watching surprising a few because i kept getting surprised by stuff for example my first surprise was and this is going to sound so bad bumblebee speaks that's right i was not prepared for that And i was kind of like ha, wait, what what but that's that's one because you were you, you said and you're, and you're dead right so this went into production after season one and watching this it, there does it, it does feel like not that you're missing plot points but like these are very established characters yeah you get that straight away like you're there, there was a moment where I was kind of like trying to jot down names really so you remember the big ones you remember Starscream and Megatron and and all the rest of them um, uh, i was saying that because there's about 50 names lads um, but then there's the other ones where I'm just like hang on who, who who was that one now again what's going on do the humans have names um, there was a bit of that as well and and then I did remember weren't there more humans and that mean that's from the TV
1: show, yep, though, isn't it? That's right, exactly. Yeah, the um, like, I suppose when I was younger, I was it was my favourite show at the time. Well, that and Mask. And um, oh man, Mask was so good. I know it was absolutely yes. Ex- the toys were class as well. Um, but for me, like I was a huge fan of Transformers when I was younger. My abiding memory of watching it, just, it used to be on a Saturday morning at ten thirty, and I always know that because my dad used to always go shopping at a quarter to eleven, and he used to always say at the break. You're either coming with me or you're not. And I always had to miss most of the second half of a load of episodes of Transformers over the years, which is obviously a bit of a balls. But I was mad about the toys. I love the toys. They were absolutely brilliant. I still have the original Optimus Prime at home. Now, he's missing the trailer, he's missing his hands, and one of his arms is missing. But beyond that, he's in perfect condition, um, which I don't think is going to get me much on eBay these days. He's
0: He's been through the wars, but sure, look, we're keeping him around. But I think um. what's
1: interesting is when you watch the cartoon and it's you know like a lot of it in terms of you know like what was great about the 80s cartoons is it was a very clear distinction between the good side and the bad side like the baddies were just bad that was it there was no kind of you know trying to kind of justify their actions like megatron just wanted to get the power from earth and just get off earth and get back to cybertron and things like that the autobots were obviously trying to kind of you know stop them things like that And like, you know, each episode happened, but there was never any real kind of consequence to actions and things like that. Mm. Like, I think the best way to describe that, and it popped into my head when I was thinking about this podcast, is there's an episode of Danger Mouse, a total segue into something completely different. And um, the bad guy, Baron Greenback, he captures Danger Mouse and he kind of dresses himself as somebody. And he's kind of making fun of Danger Mouse and he's there going... You know, oh, you captured Baron Greenback at this time, but instead of arresting him, you know, you threw a pie in his face to get back at him and you let him go. And I kept on bringing all these things up and I kind of there going, that's actually 80s cartoons in a nutshell, isn't it? Like there was never any kind of, you know, um, say consequence to actions or things like that. But when you come into this movie, like even from the get go, you know, there's something totally different because, you know, at the very start of the movie, Unicron comes on and just eats a planet and you're going Jesus Christ and he's literally murdering people in front of you because you're going wow this is totally different to you know kind of what I was expecting and you're they're going this is a bit odd then you know it transitions to the description of where we you know the movie set in the far off future of 2005 I, sorry I snorted into my coffee when I was watching that I was like oh god but the thing is like that would have been 20 years then after you reached into the series but like what you said like if you were trying to recommend this to somebody you'd have to give a bit of background because this movie just throws you straight in like you've no idea that originally both factions had landed on earth centuries previously and then obviously the decepticons have returned they've taken over cybertron and things like that so you're just kind of thrown into it you're just being told that you know the autobots are on a moon trying to win back their home planet and that they have a base on earth and like none of this is covered off really the history for you but the look of the movie immediately completely jumps out it looks a lot more polished there's not as much kind of you know well look the film is riddled with colouring errors animation errors and all that kind of thing Like, but again who the hell cares but you know the, the scene I think that really kind of shocks you is when the shuttle is going to earth and it gets attacked by the um, by the Decepticons the fact that you know there's four Autobots on it and they just get murdered in cold blood like, and like they, they get shot down that's all that's horrible but the worst of all then is just as you know they're the, as the scene is ending and it shows Megatron just standing at the front of the bridge and Ironhide wraps his legs, legs around like Ironhide is close to death and it just kind of the angle kind of pulls up then you just see Megatron's gun pointing down you just blasts him straight in the face and kills him and you're going oh my god this is uh, this film isn't going to tr- its punches at all I just have this image like
0: a legit image of in the cinema like just kids traumatised and just parents going what have we brought them to? Because, oh, it's just colourful robots and everything will be fine. And, and then there was one thing, and that, because this shocked me, right? I, like genuinely, more than I should... And I'm, I put anything in a film, it's grand. But is it Spike or something? And Uni- Unicron arrives and you've got Spike and Bumblebee are sitting there on Moonbase 2. And
1: Spike, in Transformers, the movie, no, he goes, oh, shit! I was like, what is I what?! I was listening to something earlier on and it explained why that was in it. Because I was always there going, that's really random to have that just out of nowhere. So apparently back in 1986 in America, if you had a film rated universal or G, you could only show it at certain times of the day. But if the film was bumped up to PG, that means you were able to show it you know, at a wider kind of time and all that. Because they were trying to aim for college students and things like that. So by putting in one curse word, they were able to get away with p- bumping up to a PG rating. I just it, it, it it's because as you say as well it's so
0: because there's nothing else in the film well actually yes there it's a question right you know sometimes you will get okay so much higher rated films that are like the NC-17 the X rating that you know it's very hard to change their ratings because what do you take out you yeah. know there's this um oh I can't remember. I'm going to say The Exorcist. I'm wrong, all right, but I'm going to say mm-hmm. The Exorcist. And they couldn't lower the rating because it wasn't any one thing. It was the overall feeling of the film, oh, yeah. mm-hmm. and that's that's kind of like th- this film is. It's bright. There's explosions. You know, there's kind of lots of exciting things going on, but there's really a lot of murder in this film
1: oh there's a lot like the the opening act like that includes the attack on autobot city is absolutely you know it's devastating like because it's just constant kind of death and mayhem and you know people you know dead basically well robots for what you know to obviously kind of make sure that children weren't kind of too upset by it Mm. but like you see established characters like wheeljack is you know he was a big part of the original series like he's just shown dead on the ground like and there's no reference to him he gets no scene whatsoever he's just basically and it's only like a brief momentary look you just see his body on the ground and you're going oh wow he's uh so he's another one that's completely gone like but you know there was even small things like after say the attack on Autobot City happens and Cup and Hot Rod get back to the city um when Devastator which obviously is the formation of the five Cons, mm. like in the tv show that happened but like it was never really kind of like it was always all oh, like we can insurmountably get past them but when they're forming Devastator in the film, it's really kind of, the music changes, the whole atmosphere changes, and like, it's really kind of, holy God, like this is a massive yo, robot who's going to really cause a lot of kind of problems here. And even like the character of Cup, who's, um, you know, the, basically the Dr. McCoy kind of of the Transformers movie, and like who's seen a, lo- a lot of wars, like you, like he says the name Devastator, and he just, it's in total kind of yo, shock and awe they're going good lord this guy's going to completely clean us all out like and was stuff like that and it was just really kind of cool like even to show the you know the degradation of um autobot city as well like one thing as well that this film did and strange enough uh dark of the moon the Turn Term- transformers film like michael bay did really well is they did a kind of an invasion and kind of you know battle thing properly like i say for instance the very first avengers film one of the problems i always had with that is the battle at the end of the film it takes place in new york over a period of 20-25 minutes in one block. Mm. Like, over over here in Ireland, if you were playing a soccer match or in the gym, you could easily miss the fact there was a massive alien invasion. Like, like if you look at Dark of the Moon, it kind of shows this has taken place over a couple of days. So, it feels like something has happened here. Like, in this movie here, you know, it shows kind of the transition from day to night back into day. So, it shows this has gone on for a long period. So, you can see that the city is being destroyed. Like, which is, you know, which is really important for kind of progressing the story and making it kind of a lot more kind of believable. But again, it adds to the threat of it then as well. And like for the rest of the film, it's constantly the Autobots are on the defensive side. They're never kind of really in control. They're constantly kind of running the odds are con- constantly against them, which I find adds a lot of peril and kind of a lot of intrigue to the film. I think
0: so. It's, there is, now you, you mentioned consequences and I feel there is stakes in this film and it's not just hmm. the... Oh, uh, Optimus. But it's yeah, even if say a character has maybe one or two lines. uh, and I use the example of Jazz. Like you know, he was being built up, to, you know there was like, oh yeah, maybe not a, a leader type role, but certainly he's going to be right. He'll be in the final button. No, he's not. Um, and I was I was surprised, and I was also surprised to see that Scatman Crothers voiced him. I was like, oh no, give that man more. Um, and. I well, I knew I knew the Megatron story, but I didn't know the Star, star thing. Well, that, that that's it. Like all these things, I'm kind of being shocked because, again, you sort of mash memories. I have to stop doing this. I have to stop talking about mash memories together. We're talking about one film, um and I was first of all right. The first thing that really made me smile in the film was when Hot Rod and uh, and Daniel are sitting there fishing. I was like. Why is a robot fishing? This is hilarious. But I just really enjoyed it. It was like, you know, Grant is obviously, they're very settled on it. You got that feeling straight away if they're very settled. And you obviously said yeah. before that, you know, they've been there for hundreds of years. They have, uh, is it, uh, it's Autobot City, isn't
1: it? So that's the name of the... Yeah, that's what they were. In the TV series, their home base was Teletran 1. I sound like such a nerd knowing these things off the top of my head. Is that what I Oh, uh, like I, I
0: could build a <laughs> phaser. Don't worry about it. You're in good company. Um, but, okay, Teletran 1. So so they were, so the war is on
1: Cybertron,
0: yeah, because
1: you had... Well, it's kind of, it's kind of over at this point because, well, again, it doesn't really kind of explain what happened in the 20-year gap. It's just basically the war is over on Cy... Well, even the very first episode the war was basically over. The Autobots were trying to just get out of Dodge as fast as they could. And mm. that's where the kind of, you know, series started on Cybertron and just led to them leaving like so... I think then it was in the second season they'd built a space bridge and they were able to go back to Cybertron and things like that. So by the time this starts, like the Autobots are completely gone from Cybertron instead the Decepticons and Soul Control, and then obviously Autobot City is there on Earth. That because I was uh, I was thinking right, so you had obviously your, your rebel faction
0: led by Optimus Prime on yeah. Moon Base One to the Yeah. I think I think um there was again I no I got this note on I but there's an, an error gave them an extra moon. Uh, I think it was after Moonbase 1 had been destroyed. There were still two moons in the sky, but nobody ever mentions Moonbase 3. Um, But, uh, so, later in the... I know I'm jumping all over the place, but later in the film, when, you know, what happens to Megatron happens to Megatron, which we'll get to now in a minute, but the the threat to Cybertron, you kind of get the feeling, it's like, oh no, Megatron actually cares about Cybertron. He's not just... I mean, he is obviously there to mess up Optimus Prime's day and mess up everybody's day, but... You know, once, you know, a a threat comes to Megatron's seat of power, he's like, Hmm. you know, you kind of feel like, oh, oh, he does actually care about the planet he lives on. He doesn't want anything bad to happen to that. Um, Now, that's about all of the nice scenes you get. I say nice as in, that's all of the nice guy scenes you get with Megatron. It's about one second long. Everybody enjoy it. Um, But, uh, so yeah, so I get that now. But I think it might have helped if I had maybe watched season one first to kind of know that the war was over I, I got the feeling that it was this extended conflict you know it was an ongoing civil war if you like on the planet but uh,
1: I'd have to I'd have to watch it back in because I I actually have most of the I'm only missing the second half of season 2 on DVD I have the rest of it downstairs but like I haven't seen it in so many years but I'm nearly certain that's what it was that the war had, well like there wasn't a whole lot of action on Cybertron especially in the first season anyway um, so there was nothing really for him to kind of return to or anything along those lines. Um, it was always about trying to, you know, get the, you know, the Energon cubes on mm. Earth and get off Earth and all that kind of thing, say, over the years. But um, what you were saying about the scenes with, you know, with Megatron, his transformation, things like that, again, like all that was handled so well, like after the, you know, with the fight between Optimus Prime and Megatron, like that was really handled extremely well, like in terms of, you know, what it meant like when you know they say after Optimus Prime has fallen down and Megatron is the same you know the battle is over because of that and it's just great then kind of seeing how like the difference in say the approach of their leader like everyone's extremely concerned by the fact that Optimus Prime has fallen yeah. down and then Starscream decides to give Megatron a kick when he knows that he's actually down the ground and can't do anything about it. I, I
0: loved that so much and I did I literally noted that down going if I'm ever in trouble, I don't want to be a Decepticon. Because you are screwed, if that's the case. Um and I love as well. So this is there's a little bit of behind the scenes knowledge to why this is so funny, but when Starscream is basically, you know, organizing his coup, the one who supports Megatron is Soundwave, who is voiced by Frank Welker.
1: That's right, yeah. Jeez, Frank Welker was absolutely everywhere all those years ago. Like he's basically no matter what you can look at he's in it in some shape or form he was actually in Star Trek 3 as well I did
0: yes he plays agonised Spock noises basically
1: that's the one you want on your CV in fairness but um (laughs) it was um I played panicky idiot number 3 in the Poseidon adventure sorry you're overqualified. Um, (laughs) but what was what's really good about that scene was you know Soundwave supporting him is when the you know the contest for leadership happens in the um in Astro Train after they throw Megatron off the ship. And um the constructor cons immediately say we form Devastator, the most powerful uh you know, basically we should rule. And then Soundwave says, you know, Soundwave superior, constructor cons inferior, and then they say, you know. Who are you calling inferior? No one would follow an uncharismatic bore like you. And then uh, Soundwave releases his four tapes. And one of them says, Nobody calls Soundwave uncharismatic.
0: <laughs> I love that. You're just sitting there going, What is coming next? Like, and, and actually, and that's another thing. is this, The amount of... And and, the, and this is partly on myself. So I was watching it and I was kind of going like, Are people changing sizes? No, cassette... Uh, Transformers are tiny little creatures Um, because yeah there's like as you say four of them shoot out of Soundwave now it's I'm going to say Radar Autobot because the name escapes me seriously trying to get down the names but there is an Autobot equivalent to Soundwave and the the same thing Blaster Blaster that's because he's the one who sends the message to Optimus Prime because he's on Autobot this film is
1: complicated like this is not there's for kids There's a lot of There's a lot of You know Characters who'd appear Like Blaster just disappears In the movie After the second attack By Galvatron And his uh, agents It shows him Like he picks up The message from Moonbase 2 mm. Then the attack happens And Blaster's gone For the rest of the movie You don't see him again You don't see him getting killed But he's not kind of You don't see him anymore
0: I, And it's just like Well In a normal situation You'd be like Well somebody pissed off The producer but um <laughs> it's just it, 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 there's, there's so many characters it's not it's now it's not a criticism there are so many characters, but it does mean that it's a bit a little bit hard to follow at times and for example an, an example of that would be Eric Idle's character hmm. um, of oh no I, 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 I so I'm gonna call him junker it's not his name uh, but uh, junk junk planet Eric Idol. Hi, uh, thank you kindly Rekgar and I remember the dash and everything and I remember going into the credits going remember that one thank you for remembering it and I remember going like this is really cool I love Eric Idle's voice why is he in this film
1: it's a very it's a very 80s fantasy kind of film like if you look at movies like say The Neverending Story and Labyrinth and things like mm-hmm. that they always had kind of quirky characters and different locations and things like that. Like if you look at this film, like you know, it starts with the planet that Unicron destroys, then it changes to Cybertron, then it goes to Earth, then it's out in space with Unicron again, back to Cybertron, yeah. then back to back to Earth, then the attack on the shuttles happen in space, then the say one sh- one shuttle lands on junk, and then Hot Rod and Cup wind up on the planet with the Quintessons on it. Yes. And then it's back over to Junk again, then back over to Cybertron. So there's a lot going on in terms of, you know, because you know, it, it breaks up the characters as well. So you've got two different kind of storylines kind of happening then with Ultra Magnus on his side and Hot Rod on his side. But it kind of, for me, it makes the film go by really fast because once the once Galvatron appears in the movie, I think it just completely speeds up after that and the film flies along as well as probably you know too. Throughout the entire film, there's very little period where there's no music. There's music throughout the entire film. Do, do you know what it's? It's kind of
0: these days. Um, like a lot of TV now. We're in golden age of TV, but a lot of TV now is there's music. Pretty much, it's always kind of telling you how to feel. Um, not a criticism. Yeah. Just that's that, that's kind of where we've gone in terms of how we make these things. Whereas in you know, let's take... search for Spock because they were nearly of, of a time of each other. Um, I think maybe Voyage mm. almost same, but you would have extended periods of silence or just dialogue or mm. something. Um, whereas this film, it's like, Grant. Okay, we've just finished this. I'm uh, ready into the next one, lads. I I need a break. I'm I'm not sure I can handle <laughs> this anymore. And I think I think I've become acclimatized nearly to. You know, uh, just like, just give me a minute. Give give me your uh, forty minutes with three ad breaks because I need that, please. Um, <laughs> but yeah, you're right. I remember, so you'll 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 know this as well. So, so as I was watching this, I couldn't not be taken out of the film, but in a really nice way. Um, yeah. So it's Optimus Prime's first uh, tra- like his transformation into you know the famous truck, and you've got mm. the touch comes on, hmm. and I nearly wet myself laughing because the only thing I can picture that is Mark Wahlberg singing that in Boogie Nights, right. and yeah. I think it like you know kind of like oh, and then however many years later Mark Wahlberg will be hanging out with Optimus Prime. Fate, this is all just fate. Is all this is? <laughs> and it was just like, yeah. Oh. I-
1: I when I saw Buggy Nights, I was there going, Oh my god, I was there going, that's from the Transformers movie. Strange enough, random fact that that song was actually due to be for the movie Cobra with Sylvester Stallone. Yeah, yeah, I thank you kindly for that. <laughs> that is ne- that is never going to come up in a table quiz at all. No one will ever have any use for that bit of random trivia, but there you have what it. What film was the touch <laughs>
0: written for <laughs> i. e. it was not Buggy Nights. No. Um that, uh, but it was, and it's it sort of, it's.
1: But I think as well with the soundtrack, what's? I, I think the soundtrack it either make or break the movie for you. When I was listening to the, I listened to three different podcasts today about the Transformers movie, and all three had different mm-hmm. opinions. One, one crowd said loved it, completely works with the movie. Another crowd said takes out a movie too much. No what going, some songs work, some songs kind of don't like the composer Vince DiCola he worked on Rocky 4 as well like if you actually listen to any of the Rocky Four soundtrack like a load of the music is very similar to it because Rocky 4 was I think it was 86 or 87 so it kind of came out very quickly it's like if you listen to the soundtrack to Aliens and then watch Star Trek 3 The oh, Klingon the thing
0: is the
1: alien thing. yeah exactly like, like say when they're trying to leave uh, the planet at the end of it like that's completely you know, Star Trek 3 music right there but um, like for me, I was mad about the soundtrack for years. Um, but the only problem was is the soundtrack that was available was only the kind of the rock music no, no. from yes. it, like all the music like from Stan Bush, Spectre General, and all that kind of thing. But a few years ago, they released the full soundtrack with all of Vince Dakota's music on it. Now, being the absolute massive nerd that I am, the team, the, the music that plays when. The after the Decepticons have taken over the Autobot shuttle and we trans transition over to Spike and Daniel or Spike and Hot Rod fishing. That is actually, be, or sorry, Daniel, I keep getting Spike wrong. Daniel and Hot Rod fishing. I actually have that as my ringtone nice. on my phone and I've had it for many years. It's called Gone Fishing and it is absolutely. brilliant. it's only about fifty something seconds long, but it's just brilliant because, like, there's certain you know stuff like anyone will attest to this um certain songs will bring you back to a period in your childhood like as i said that scene was always one of my favorite scenes in any movie i ever saw when i was a kid i just loved it it was because the scene is brilliant in terms of it starts out really positive it's a nice summer's day hot rod and danny are sitting down everything's fine you know the shuttle is coming and it's all kind of cool the music kind of picks up then with um uh, Dare by Stan Bush again, and they drive off to Lookout Mountain, and then suddenly the music changes when Daniel when Daniel spots there's a hole in the shuttle, and then, you know, um, Hot Rod spots and when start starts shooting, and the whole movie changes at that point. And it's kind of cool in a scene like that, again, because you've gone from this nice thing following a horrible thing of, you know, all the Autobots getting killed on the shuttle, and you think, oh, no, it's, like, it's going to be fine, and then suddenly it transitions. And th- that's when the movie really kind of, you know, like... The real threat begins it, at that point and it keeps on going. Then it for does. A like it properly, it sort of, it ramps up
0: and I'd say the only quiet bits after that are maybe standing around Optimus Prime and that's kind of it. I mean, there, there's something like properly happening um, at, at nearly all points that because the first third of the film is kind of the dash to escape. Then yeah. the second, third, roughly now would be kind of everyone is all scattered off and there are different various groups and dealing with the different threats. You have Hot Rod has gone, Magnus, uh, Mag- Ultra Magnus. Ultra Magnus. I was going Magnus yeah. Prime. No, Ultra. Um, and uh, and then you have obviously poor old Megatron slash Galvatron is like, I'm the lead. Oh, I'm not the leader. Um, I would do I do a quick kind of like let's talk about Unicron for a second because the, for years for me what was famous about this film was the fact that it was Orson Welles last film mm. and that's right I, I will be honest and say like for all that I talk about film I've only seen I think I've seen I've seen um, Citizen Kane and I've seen The Third Man yeah. and I've heard yeah. War of the Worlds so that'd yeah. be that'd be kind of it for me For and of course I've seen the trailer to Star Trek The Wrath of Khan um, no, the motion picture. Sorry, he did the motion picture, um, and like he has that amazing voice. But I was, I was kind of going like, you know, that's like the king of Hollywood is in this film at some point.
1: So what? I think leading leading up to it, I think though he'd kind of he'd kind of done you know, a bit of a Michael Caine on it for many years. Like, he was in a lot of smaller movies and things like that like his star was very much kind of gone like i think as well they only had him for two days of recording now there was often kind of report like i think he died was a five days later after he fully finished his recording yeah. of the of the role but there were a lot of kind of talk of did he survive or not like though no, it has been confirmed he did he did he fully recorded all his lines now apparently he didn't know a whole lot about what was going on he just knew that he was a robot killing other robots and things like that like but like who the hell cares he like, was arson welles and what was great is is that they said that his the power of his voice was gone it wasn't as strong as it was and they put it through his synthesizer but I think that actually adds a lot of menace to the voice as well so like I really like the voice of Unicron really, in the film I think it's it's very ruined. cold it's very deep and you know you, you do have that
0: proper sense of menace coming off it whereas yeah. um, like Frank Welker has that kind of gravelly you know I'm trying to find a better way to describe it than yuck kind of sound to his voice where it's like ah yay of course he's the bad guy he's the guy sitting in the corner going Um, yeah then when you have thankfully when you have the the late great fantastic Leonard Nimoy takes over as Galvatron Hmm. you're like brilliant but even like that has to have also been put through a synthesizer because I think you can trust me when I say I know Leonard Nimoy's voice I've heard it once or twice now and I love that they kind of again, for want of a better word,
1: robotted it up. And it's great. Yeah, like, all of them do really well. Like, you think of it like Robert Stack as Ultra Magnus now. I don't know if you remember. Did you watch Unsolved Mysteries when you were younger? I didn't. Well, not that I remember.
0: Um, I kind of, it was one of those voices where you're like, do I remember this voice or not? You know, that kind of
1: feeling. Yeah, like... Basically on some mysteries, like, well, like, it's back on Netflix nowadays, but, you know, the original series, which is on Amazon Prime, was, you know, it was, it was brilliant. It was kind of a terrifying enough kind of, like, it was basically like, you know, Crime Watch UK or Crime Call, or whatever, like, but it was just brilliant. But his voiceover was always, because, like, the stories that they tell it and all that, they were kind of spooky enough, they were creepy enough, and, like, his voiceover would kind of give you, you know, chills. Like, it would show a story of, say, a murder in Tennessee or something like that. It would show a photo of it. And in Robert Sack's voice, we are going, and this person is still at large. And you here in Nimerick going, oh, my God, he's going to come and kill me. He's going to leave Tennessee. He's outside my house right now. <laughs> so his voice always had a kind of an element of menace to it as well. But he was like, Robert Sack was a well-known actor at the time. like he had played Elliot Ness on The Untouchables back in, I think it was the late 50s, early 60s. And like he'd been in an airplane as well and things like that. It's like he was a known actor. Leonard Nimoy obviously was huge at the time because obviously he just made Star Trek Three. He was in the process of getting ready to make Three Men and a Baby, and Star Trek Four was coming out as well. And um, like Eric Idle, as you said as well, was um, you know in Monty Python for years. And Jud Nelson as well, who did Hot Rod. Like he was a member of the Brat Pack. He'd made the Breakfast Club. Oh, and like that. that's one. So like They're really kind sorry. Of just yeah, I, I was
0: googling a picture of um. Robert Sack as 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 what I was talking to you there. Uh Judd Nelson, sorry yeah. yeah, Judd Nelson was the other name that stood out for me.
1: Yeah, exactly. And as well, Scatman Cruthers who did jazz, this was his last movie as well. Poor Scatman and Crothers. Here, Like, And he here's one for you now that I that I bet you won't you know. Um Harry Mudd from Star Trek the original series. Roger C. Carmel.
0: Now I'm not it's his uh, lads, not, not going to lie to you. I I am That's that's how I, otherwise. Now I wouldn't have I wouldn't have spotted him because it's it's it many's a moon now since I've seen um, uh, Harry Mud. Um, any of those? Yeah. Uh, well, uh, not being played by Rain Wilson. Um, but uh, so God, so so what you're saying is that this movie was the kiss of death to several of the actors
1: it absolutely was with the exception obviously of Peter Cullen because he kept on kind of going from strength to strength it's interesting when you hear his interpretation of Prime and you know from watching documentaries of it over the years like he was saying that when he had first say auditioned for the role he was sitting outside and you know there were people inside doing large kind of doing really kind of large voices and things like that and shouting voices and all that kind of thing I think he said that his brother had served in the military and he was a captain and he was really softly spoken so when he went in the performance he gave was very kind of understated, soft spoken It sounded a bit like John Wayne, but the kind of the, you know, the presence is in the voice on its own. Like, it's the same, like, you know, Peter Cullen is Transformers or Kevin Conroy as the Batman. Oh, say. what a great like, description. You know, yeah, like, it's it's very, like, if you watch any Transformers, there is no voice like Peter Cullen. It's like, even in Michael Bay's films, as completely bananas as they are, like, I go back and watch them just for Peter Cullen's voice as Optimus Prime because, it's just a wonderful voice to have kind of you know running through but even the same with um cup as well i was convinced for years it, sh- it surely was voiced by um uh, the forest kelly who played dr mccoy of course in star trek but it wasn't it was actually a um, lionel stander i believe his name was he was in heart to heart he played the butler in it um, I know so many random facts About TV from the 1970s and This 1980s. is good to know
0: You will be uh, on my table quiz team
1: <laughs> No don't Because I'm terrible at table quizzes um, Nobody's going to say Who voiced Cup in the 1980s. But it
0: could be the one time Somebody does ask it And you can be like Yes It is Show's time to shine
1: but what's interesting is what you were saying about, um, like Leonard Nimoy's voice as Galvatron. When this, when the move after the movie, the series transitioned obviously into seasons three and four. But what they did is they brought Frank Welker back to do the voice of Galvatron. And now, part of the story of Galvatron in the third and fourth seasons is that he's gone insane, so right. the voice is more manic and it's it's it doesn't have at all the, like at least with. Say Leonard Nimoy, because of the voice he has and the range he has, Like, there's a kind of a quiet menace to yeah. it. Like, And there's no roaring, there's no shouting, the words are you know, expertly pronounced, every word is important, and it sounds, com- like even say, just before they say kill Ultra Magnus, it's just the way he says, Magnus, give me the Matrix. And it's just simple, it's just, you know, it's an order, you know for well there's a threat with it as well, there's no need to go bombastic with it, and things like that it's important for a movie like this that it had that kind of, you know, legitimacy to it instead of kind of, you know, if you didn't have the right people in it, a lot of it wouldn't be believable and things like that. Like, any scene that has um, Leonard Nimoy's Galvatron is brilliant. Well, I'm biased because I love Leonard Nimoy, but it makes such a big difference. And, like, I sent you on this scene last night is that, you know, towards the end of the movie when Galvatron threatens Unicron saying that he is the Matrix. And it's just the way that, you know, Unicorn's voice is kind of basically there going right that's it I've had enough of this Galvatron guy I'm just going to basically destroy his planet and it's just the whole scene is absolutely brilliant because you know the music works you know the voice acting out of Leonard Nimoy works and the voice acting out of Orson Welles at the time works as well it's brilliant there's so much kind of that really kind of works in terms of the voice acting in the movie
0: It like they nailed the cast they absolutely
1: nailed the cast yeah. um,
0: because I mean in general sense animation Successfully, it live you can you can forgive to an extent you can forgive poorer quality animation and again to an extent um if you've got a great cast obviously script yeah. important but you know if you've got a great cast delivering the hell out of the lines whereas you might have something and some not all but some disney films are guilty of this where you might have beautiful animation but there's just nothing interesting to listen to
1: yeah, you can tell as well people who aren't... Like, it's like if you watch The Simpsons in it, there's a guest there on yeah. it. Yeah. And, like, you know that they're not used to... Like, say, for instance, like, in the episode of Rick and Morty that has Elon Musk in it, like, you know for well Elon Musk has absolutely no idea what he's doing at all. And it sounds like somebody reading a script rather than somebody actually embodying the role itself. And it like
0: you, you you might see them or you might not see them but you're still you can feel that discomfort whereas I didn't feel that at all there was now there was one moment that they sell the hell out of this so I think this one was for the the grown-ups in the audience and it's where it's just before um the the decepticons uh launch their kind of first attack on the, yeah. the the rebel faction because it's got it's Spike and Bumblebee are talking and Spike yeah. basically he's drawn that he looks directly at the camera and says I can't wait till I rotate home and then see my boy Daniel it's been sort of was like wow I can see the crosshairs in the middle of his forehead right now That's uh, me and my honey bought a boat called the live forever and, and it was so funny and I thought that is for everyone who's ever watched one of those films I thought that was so funny <laughs> and then he just he disappears for half the film you're just like oh wow they did take him out
1: yeah, they took a lot of people out, right? So the film is really kind of, yo, can you handle, like, say, yo, the new characters? Because like, obviously they wanted to make sure that, you know, I think was, was it was November '86 it was released. Hang on, I have IMDb open in front of me here. November, hello. 23rd of October. Uh, October, hello, Christmas. No, hang on a second. That was released in Ireland the 23rd of October. That was never in the cinema in Ireland I can really get. Well, it wouldn't have been in Limerick, I'll anyway, tell that much. <laughs> it was. It was in um,
0: one fella's living room in Dublin. He had a projector. Nobody knows how he got the master tape of it, but
1: that's the master tape they used to make the DVDs. Um, a complete random aside, a few years ago, I was in um, the University of here in Limerick, and I was just, just trialling, basically what their cinema screens were like inside there so there was these films i was trying to organize a charity uh, event for but i brought in the movies that i was trying to show but the night before it, i was kind of just i got the, the blu-rays of it and i just looked at the transformers movie and i said i will never see this in the big screen i'm never going to get a chance to see my favorite scene on the big screen ever so i brought it over with me and we looked at the some of the bits of the movies that i wanted to do for the charity screening and i just said is there any chance, I said, that I could watch a small scene from this movie? I said, I will never see this in the cinema, ever in my life. And I said, I'm just mad to see this. And they were like, of course, no problem. So the ran, went upstairs, put it in, and the lady I was dealing with, she was on the phone. She kept saying, yeah, just put it right in a few seconds, right in a few seconds. And I was there going, can he trump the volume a good bit more? And she did, and then I just looked at her and I said, I'm so sorry, I said, but I'm going to step over here for the next two minutes, and I said, I'm going to indulge my eight-year-old self, I said, because I am so mad to see the scene and the big screen, and I'm just going to have to enjoy it on my my own. So it was the scene, you know, when, you know, the Lookout Mountain scene and all that, and it was absolutely brilliant. And the big screen, it was out of this world. It really was. um, It really was brilliant. It's just one of those films I'd love to see in a cinema again, but again, nobody... Again, like I told you to go watch this. A lot of people who listen to this podcast may never even know that it actually exists. But like seeing something like this in the big screen would be kind of cool. I remember like reading at the time that it didn't get a huge release and that reaction to it was kind of overall kind of negative enough. But I suppose with something like this, you really have to have seen the TV series leading up to it as well. And like I find it hard to recommend somebody nowadays because as you said earlier on, Every film is of its time. Like This is an absolutely 80s movie in nearly every way. Like in the music, it's completely 80s. In its sensibilities, it's completely 80s. In how it just keeps moving from place to place. And the cheese factor as well. But it's unashamedly 80s. And that's what I love about it. Is that it's just basically going, this is what this movie is. This is up to you now to decide if you want to actually watch this or not. Oh,
0: uh Oh, you, you mentioned there just about, of its time and the cheese. I wrote this line down because I was just like, oh, this is amazing. And I think it's Cup that says it. Mm. I got better things to do tonight than die.
1: I was just like, Brilliant. this is the Great best line. script ever. Um, <laughs> I, don't, I don't know about you, but did you see any parallels between Springer, uh, who you just mentioned there, and Commander Riker in Star Trek The Next Generation? Now you have to forgive me. Springer is... The guy who can turn into a helicopter and also a car. He's a green fella. He's the guy who said, "I got better things to do, to Thank do you. tonight yeah, than um,
0: die." Yeah, you kind of because what? Wait, what feeling did I get off him? It's like what? I think, I think now. I, I might, I might disappoint you because I think I got a bit lost with him. I think it's because he was like, "Oh, he's a car." Oh no, no, he's a helicopter now. I don't know what's happening. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I feel like I feel like such a bad first because I was just like, what's, what what's? What? I I kept I I will say I paused it a couple of times just so I could kind of take a breath and go, right, I got better things to do tonight than die. Grant, okay, let's go again. Right, um, no, because I think the the ones who stood out for me the most, like the ones who were just like, oh great, they're back. on it was the Dinobots. Oh, they're um, brilliant. Uh, is it Gr- Grimlock? Yeah, oh, he's like my favorite character in this film. He's just he's so and he's just like,
1: oh, and he's really he's really
0: helpful because he keeps telling you his
1: name. <laughs> There's um a scene in it when they attack Devastator at the start of the movie. And oh, jeepers, I, I always get the names wrong, but anyway, the Brachiosaur, I think, the one mm. the long neck. Devastator kind of hits him and puts him on the ground. But as he hits him, his eyes kind of come out of his head. It's like And it's like a Looney Tunes thing. And I remember reading about that because I I always said, that stands out. But I think it was the director or the writer said, that was put in there to remind you this is only a cartoon and it's just basically for the crack. Just to kind of say, don't worry, there's nothing serious here. Like, it's just a blessed cartoon. Because, I mean, it's gassed that they included that because, like,
0: it is a cartoon and it is is for children. Like, there is definite bits that are like, this is for the grown-ups in the room, but it is for children. But yeah, it's like, Sometimes you kind of need to have the silly gag. Sometimes you need to kind of not bring the tone down, but maybe bring mm. the mood or level it a, a bit, because it just gets as serious as a seizure at some points. I, I saw I was I, I I saw this interpretation of it now again. This is just this evening, so I'm not claiming credit for this. But I just thought it was hilarious. Um, that it's a remake of the Godfather, and I the look on your face says it all, right? So, Optimus Prime is Vito. Um, and yeah. then, in his absence, you have the rise of Sonny, who is uh, Ultra Magnus. And then, yeah. Ultra Magnus is not able to manage anything. So, eventually, the return of Michael slash uh, Hot Rod. And, Hot Rod. you know, that's how they come together and, and you know, defeat the bad guys slash the five <laughs> families uh, at the end. I was just kind of like, this is crazy enough that I can kind of see it. I don't know if they actually did make Mario Puzo aware of the fact that they were remaking The Godfather while they were making this film. But you know what? I, I subscribe to that reading of this film. That's okay. That's valid.
1: Uh, but, like, when you look at any movie, like, you know yourself, you could always try and tie it back to something. Like, my favourite one is that the people who made uh, DuckTales claimed that Christopher Nolan stole an idea from one of their episodes for Inception. I mean I can't prove that he didn't ap- Apparently one of the episodes uh, The kids go into Or somebody goes into Scrooge McDuck's dream To get the combination For his safe in the real world and That is basically That is entirely right? the plot of Inception so can you imagine a young Christopher Nolan sitting there going, oh, look at this idea here from DuckTales. I'm just going to note this down, and in about 20 years, I'm going to make a hit movie completely based on it's this story. It's all
0: right, because nobody watches that DuckTales show. I remember every <laughs> time Scrooge <laughs> McDuck dived into that pool full of coins. You made the wrong bet there, Chris. It's like in,
1: it's like an episode of Father Ted when they're doing the Eurovision, and they think that nobody knows the song, and it turns out absolutely everybody remembers the song. <laughs> To to
0: a very specific portion of our audience. My lovely horse <laughs> running
1: through the field. What's good about the movie as well, I find, is that like again, it was something of the eighties. The eighties was very much kind of treated even kids like, you know, I won't say adults, but like older kids. It didn't really talk down to them. Like and yeah. with the with the movie, like it's not like it introduces you to what Unicron's past is or anything along those lines. It's basically here he is flying out of the out of nowhere, he's eating a planet, and that's his you know, his story. The same with um Daniel, like there's no need to explain where he's come from. He's clearly Spike's son. There's no need to kind of you know, go massive slavishly into a story. It's just this straight in front of you, give you enough, and it says, Right, that's your background, movie's on, that's it. Get into it as quickly as you can. And that's what I really like about it, that it doesn't pander to you, it doesn't drag it out. It's not an origin story. It does kind of expect you to have some idea. But even if you don't, you can pick it up pretty fast. Gets into the action and just kind of keeps on going. Like And like, I suppose, like, I'm not going to say it's a perfect film. But like, it's a film I can sit down, I can turn on, I can watch it. And I don't get bored. There's no scene that I'd watch where I'd say, I want to fast I, forward this.
0: Every scene I really I enjoy. There was nothing, there was no bit where it flags. And you kind of think, yeah. th- in the best of films, there's usually a scene where it's like, just the energy winds down, doesn't make, you know, you can kind of take a breath. This doesn't let you take a breath. That's why, like, I was, I was joking, and not joking, when I was saying, like, I'm, I need to sit down, like, I just feel like I've just had a bag of sugar. Um, I, I, in a way, I feel so tremendously bad for the, for the adults of the kids who went to see that film, in the apparently one theatre it was shown in, because, they were just like, what happens when you give a bunch of toddlers espresso? that,
1: um, but if you if you think of it if you think of um, Dunkirk Dunkirk has music nearly throughout the entire thing but if you think of the scenes in the planes I remember I watched a thing on, on Twitter before and it kind of showed that the way um, Hans Zimmer kind of did the music was it kept on building but it never hit the height it would kind of start it would recycle itself it would go up so you're kind of drawn into it because you're watching the action but the music is pushing along at the same time and that's what i find with this movie as well is that when certain action scenes happen you know the music changes and it ramps up then it goes along with it like but it keeps you kind of going i'd say if there were certain scenes in it that had no music it would flag in places but because of the constant music and the fact that it's not just say Vince acola's orchestra orchestral music there's you know, actual rock songs in it as well it kind of keeps changing so you know there keeps on being in transition in the movie Which is really kind of good, it keeps you kind of focused, well, focused as much as you can be in a movie like this. Yeah, and so on the senses, so like
0: we have your aural assault that's kind of going on. And I say that Mm. with love because I I, I do like, I Mm. really enjoy the soundtrack. But the aesthetic of this film, I think pretty much everyone knows what a Transformer looks like. I think at some point in your life you have seen a toy, or a film, or the Michael Bay films, or whatever. So you know what the Transformers look like. But when the entire world is that, I I think it is absolutely... I got really strong Tron vibes, but not exactly the same as Tron, because I didn't go for the kind of the neon that Tron went to. But it really locked it in that industrial computer 80s style, which I love. And that is something that is although Transformers 1 is my guilty pleasure um, I love that film that is something that is missing I think from it, the, the, the newer ones that they kind of try and go I take this with a pinch of salt too realistic with
1: them I think as well when they were making the Michael Bay films like um, Steven Spielberg is one of the producers and I remember watching an interview with him about it and he said that you know for a movie like this you know people have to have a kind of a common frame of reference. like So we have to see the humans interact with the robots. Like for a cartoon, you can tell anything you you know, You can tell any story you want. Like if you look at some of the Studio Ghibli films and things like that, it's completely out of this world and bananas. Same with this Transformers film. It's very Japanese kind of mm. inspired and the influences and things like that. But when you go into live action, it can be hard to kind of connect with it. If you look at the start of, say, the third one, Dark of the Moon, it takes place on Cybertron and it's, you know, the war is going on. But you're kind of there going at least with the animation it's easy to kind of distinctly you know differentiate with all the autobots but in the michael bay film it's not so it's just it's metal everywhere That's... so it's hard then to kind of connect to it and to kind of develop a connection to it but with this film all the, like it's just all the strong primary colors if you look at say like the auto the decepticons before galvatron and changes and all that they're all different colours, like Jetstreak, Thundercracker, Starscream, Megatron, like Megatron is grey, Starscream is red, uh, Soundwave is blue, and things like that, and it's all different, Galvatron's force then are all kind of purple, and then we look at the Autobots as well, you know, the different cars are so well represented, and the colours that go along kind of with them then as well, it makes a kind of a huge difference like, and again, that's where your kind of connection is, because you feel a connection to these characters, because it's easy to identify them, and you can kind of, you can understand their personality, like, well, the best way is to work out how you've connected to a film is if you were to describe any character in the film without referring to their physical appearance, how detailed could you be about them? The more detailed you are, the more memorable the character is. So if you were trying to describe, say, Cop or, say, Hot Rod or, say, Megatron, could you do it without saying Megatron's a big robot that transforms into a gun? The answer is no. Same with Cup, you could easily say War, war Grizzled, kind of sarcastic, angry, you know, crusty person all this. But Hot Rod then again it's kind of even though we've only seen him in the movie, you know, it's a young kind of person kind of, you know, go get him but kind of a bit kind of inexperienced like a thing like that. And like as the movie goes by he grows and you can, you know, it's easy to kind of see exactly how that kind of growth goes on with it to become, you know, a leader and things like that.
0: Well, yeah. Sorry, like I'm t- <laughs> Yeah, that's my review of everything you just said. No, but you're 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 dead right. Like the the I suppose the take optimus prime right he'd be probably the best example Mm. everyone sorry everyone who would know the transformers franchise saga whichever you know the red and the blue of optimus prime yeah and it's one of the things i physically remember being in the cinema with my friend and you know the this is the michael bay one now and optimus rocks up and rocks up in the the red and the blue and like you could hear the Noise going straight through the theater because we instantly mm. recognized we were instantly transported back in time to when we watched the cartoon when we watched it on TV when you know we watched it in the f- again I'm I'm assuming we watched it in the film because it's all one lovely lovely memory uh, but mm. if they hadn't like if they hadn't at least kept that because Megatron of the Bay franchise and Megatron of this film are both voiced by Frank Welker that's it that is that. That is the way in which oh well not in the first film sorry in the subsequent films uh, Frank Welker came back um, yeah and that's it that's where the similarities end you know whereas
1: yeah exactly yeah. and it's uh, but it's hard like it, it, they're such hard films to compare like I'd be the same as you like I really enjoyed the first one I totally can take any criticism of yeah. it like the fight scenes are all over the place like they improved as the movies went by but like what i liked about say the first michael bay film is for the first hour like it's basically like a bit of a teen Mm. comedy really more than anything else and there's a kind of a mystery to the transformers as well like the introduction to the transformer scene is absolutely brilliant and as you said when they're in the alleyway and Optimus prime comes down for the first time and transforms i thought i was going to pass out because i thought it was really handled extremely well the music really worked well the sense of scale with it as well kind of came along because like like what i was really happy was that optimus prime kind of became a cinematic hero in like from say 2007 onwards like which is kind of where he really deserved to be mm-hmm. as well and the fact that peter colin continued to voice him as well and it kind of you know worked out really kind of well it's a shame that i think that this you know how forgotten this movie has been over the years like because anyone i've showed it to has actually really enjoyed it and i think they've been kind of taken aback by how much i have enjoyed it it was funny when i when you put up about this you know you put up on twitter about the podcast i was straight away i was there going i can guarantee you not a lot of people have seen this and i was there going this has to be the one to be talked about because this is a film that if you're a child of the 80s and you enjoy cartoons the 80s is an absolute movie you should watch because it is very kind of engaging it does kind of keep you interested there is a good story the characters are interesting the voice acting is excellent there's good action and there's, you know, proper stakes at risk as well. I like the fact that, you know, towards the end of the film, Unicron transforms and is basically a ginormous person standing over a planet trying to destroy it. It's really kind of, you know, you kind of think to yourself, how the hell did I get from Hot Rod and Daniel fishing to this by the end of yeah, it? Uh,
0: there's that, the scale of the end of it as well. You, because you have Unicron turns into a giant, like, man-shaped robot um, and is, you know, he's taller than the planet... You just have this kind of like, well, hang on, like he should be however many million miles tall and yet they're kind of kicking the crap out of him. I'm just enjoying this. I'm just enjoying this at this point. Uh, and it is, it's bonkers in the most fun way at the end. I feel that, um, and I assume this was written long before they were ever doing the recording for it because I feel that there was a that kind of nod toward a sequel at the end where you have Unicron's head is just kind of floating there. And I was like... Knowing what I know now is like, unless they get really fast with that script, I don't think he'll be coming back for uh, Transformers 2. But. um,
1: Well, the head actually became a kind of an integral part of this third season. It's been a year since I saw it. The third season starts off at a five parter. Like uh, Galvatron is off somewhere else and completely gone insane, but there's a part of Unicron's head that they have to try and recover. I can't remember is it the Decepticons or the Autobots, but there's a big kind of part that his head plays in the series when it kind of comes back. Now, as bad as the animation may have been in the first season, the odd animation mistakes that they made in the movie, the third and fourth seasons are absolutely diabolically bad. Like from a oh, point I of view would. of animation, it's 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 actually it's dreadful. Like it's so so poor i tried watching it um when i bought the dvds a few years ago and i got you a couple of episodes and i said i just i can't watch this anymore it's actually it's so bad like i you know i, I watched the first season years ago and I was kind of thinking, okay, it's scratchy, but like it is the eighties, it's fine. But you know, as the seasons go by, they're going, oh god, this is awful. The funny thing is, even though it ended in America, it kept going in Japan. Like mm. the the whole storyline kept on happening. Nick. Like. no, I
0: it reminds me of the do you, do you remember the Fantastic the X Men animated from the nineties? Oh, yeah. uh, similar similar thing they had it was different animation houses looked after um i might have the, the number of seasons wrong but i think they had four full seasons and a sort of a half fifth and that yes. final season had been shipped out to another animation studio it was sort of a cheapest bidder kind of a job and oh my it is absolutely dreadful only for the fact that it has the same brand over the the title. It's yep. a bit like, this is not the same show, and is would Transformers kind of season four, or season three be a bit like that? Would it be as bad as this is a oh, different I'm... show, or would it be?
1: No, it's, it still knows the same. It just it looked like the care just wasn't there at all in it. Like and even the the voice acting wasn't as good. It's just like small things, like somebody walking down a bloody flight of stairs couldn't even be done right, and you're going, God, this is this is awful. And you think of like when you compare the look of the first two seasons of the Transformers series to the movie, like, the movie was a massive step up. Like, everything about it just worked so well. Like, because, like, you know, the colors were very vibrant in it. Like, just everything. It looked absolutely... It it's a gorgeous looking mm. film. Like, no, it is. It yeah. um, And, like, you know, it's just... It's a shame then when you see something like that and it kind of, you know, something kind of falls off then um, when you're kind Because, of, like, you think the movie would be a springboard to success, but obviously it didn't seem to work out that way. You know, that's it's it, it is a shame. Like thankfully
0: and now whether we have Mr. Bay to thank for this, I or whether we have the Hasbro Company and their amazing toy line, uh or we have the incredible Transformers Beast Wars, um which was that was my jam growing up. Like I I say I dropped money. I dropped a lot of my parents' money on Transformers Beast Wars. Um but uh the the franchise it's kept going. Whether it's been a break every couple of years or... Because if this was 86, let's say, I think, 84, maybe the first season started? Yep. Um, and Then, so, there might have been maybe the longest gap between, say, season four of this and then kind of picking up... I think Beast Wars might have been next. Because I know, kind of, uh, Transformers Prime is newer. That's the 2000s.
1: Yeah, that's right. I was in college and Transformers Prime was up. But there was a, um, a kind of, uh, how would I put it, a kind of a re-release of the, of the original series in the mid-90s. It kind of started with, it was weird, it kind of started with a different kind of intro. And then it would, it would just, they just kind of, you know, because obviously Prime to bring to a new audience and things like that. But, like, there's so much there to kind of work on. It's just the problem is, is that, you know, like Michael Bay's films have kind of just been fairly all yeah. over the place. The ideas are kind of good, but like some of the humor isn't work. Like the most recent film, not Bumblebee, the one before that. By God, it was all over the place. Like it was just the one Anthony Hopkins in it. Said, the that's, last I've night, actually I've not
0: I've not got around to that because of and I mean we we both agree both both enjoy the first one a lot, but they just they they get long and you can feel the length of them. That's that'd be oh, yeah. my biggest criticism. I think of the films is that I think Revenge of the Fallen that was over three hours. Or maybe, maybe not over, but it was certainly heading toward three. I think. De-
1: but see, the, I think I think the problem I always have with the Revenge of the Fallen was there was a, a writer's strike in Hollywood. Oh, was that 2008? An yeah, of course. Yeah, and I, and I was really looking forward to. Like, the film came out in 09, but I remember in the lead up to it, people were saying, Look, is there being an effect by the writer's strike? And of course, the writers are No, no problems at all. Everything's fine. And I was there going, That doesn't hmm. seem right film came out mixed reviews and when they were making the third one Michael Bay just and the writers came straight out and said yeah the second one was really badly affected by the writer strike so if you need any reminding Hollywood lies to you on a consistent basis because they don't care about how much of an impact they want you in and they want your Absolutely.
0: money like we'll tell you the truth after you've purchased your ticket preferably four times yeah <laughs>
1: But, like, say, you know, with the movie still going on, Bumblebee wasn't too bad, and I'm pretty sure there's other series and all that, but there have actually been a couple of good um, games over the years as well that have actually come out, like War for... Actually, I have them both here. Um, War for Cybertron and... Oh, bloody hell, what's the other one? Can't find it at the moment. But they were two really good games because they had the original voice actors back um, again with it, like. It's, like, it's really set up well for computer games as well because there's a good narrative there to take place on Cybertron and things like that. Like, there's a lot in it, but maybe not as much as kind of they'd want because like you know if you look at the Michael, Michael Bay Films it's constantly the first one was over oh, new to earth then the second one was oh we were here at the time of the pyramids then you go back and we're going yeah we were here at the time of the moon landings then the, you, know, you go back it just kept on kind it's of saying like, yeah look like, we, we've been did here did she
0: ever leave lads like <laughs> I mean delighted you're here I, I, but it seems like once a year every year like something yeah. happens like yeah um now we're 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 just coming up to the end of this episode now so i suppose i kind of if if you had to give maybe a a three-line sales pitch slash summary for this film like to to get people i think people i'm delighted to have seen this this evening put it that way right so to get people to kind of go like no let's give this film a shot i've been born and bred on the michael bay films or you know i you know i played with the toys why should i sit down and watch this film
1: I suppose if you want something that has a lot of nostalgia in it, has a lot of action in it, doesn't bog you down with too much kind of exposition or, well, that's my own opinion on that, or kind of, you know, massive character development that just puts you straight into the action, gives you massive cheese factor. This is absolutely the movie for you. It's 86 minutes long. It's not going to completely take up an entire night. It's really fun to watch. If you haven't seen it, absolutely give it a chance. You might like it, but there's a huge chance there's going to be something I, there for you. I, I
0: absolutely agree. I think that, as you said, it's 86 minutes. It's, it's punchy. It's quick. You know, and I'd say the worst thing, the worst thing I could say about it is too short. I want more. Uh, yeah. And I want a sequel we're not going to get, but that's okay. <laughs> like, there's well, it's well. There's, there's it, it, apart from the high body count, it's a uh, quite a <laughs> quite quite a successful film. Apart from all the people who died making it, anyway. Right, uh, Joe, thank you so much, and uh, thank you so so much for joining me this evening. Thank you so much for reintroducing. I'm going to say reintroducing me to this film. I feel I've seen it, but like childbirth, something has flooded through my system that I've completely forgotten it, and I got to experience it all over again
1: not at all and thanks for having me on Sean it was an absolute pleasure
0: you're, you're a gentleman and a scholar and I will uh, this is both a promise and a threat I will have you on again as soon as possible
1: <laughs> perfect Thanks, John. You're
0: very welcome. You're very welcome. And that is the end of our episode this week, guys. Thank you so much for joining us. Whether you think we're mad for what we said, think we're stunning and wonderful, or frankly, think we're on crack, let us know. Please consider following the podcast on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, or the podcast catcher of your choice. Joe, if anyone wants to reach out and get in touch with you, which they absolutely should, how would they find you?
1: Oh dear God. Um, I don't have to put my name to this, do I? Um, <laughs> of course I do. <laughs> um i'm on twitter at joseph hurley uh, s-e-o-s-a-m-h uh for anyone who is not irish that is the irish of joseph and nobody can ever get it right so that's me on twitter excellent cool and what
0: i'll do is i'll put that handle in the description for this episode as well so people we can just click on a button and come say hi Perfect. Thanks, Sean. You're very welcome. And you can find the podcast on Facebook and Instagram and Twitter as well. Just pop in at Sean Ferrick, and it'll bring you straight to me, really. And that's probably the fastest way of doing things. Please rate and review the podcast if you can. Every word goes a long way. If you enjoyed this podcast, please consider becoming a patron over on Patreon. For the same price as a coffee a month, you can get exclusive access to episodes before they air, along with creative input on the episodes we produce. We'll be back for another episode of You're on Crack, mate. Show, thank you very, very much again for joining me. Thanks, Sean. Not at all. I have been Sean, and you've been awesome.